So I think this is my fourth year speaking at this event, but they, they keep shortening my time. Uh, I'm not sure what that says. Uh, so, but today I'm, I'm talking about the new Tax Cuts and Job Acts and, and what it means to you. Um, there are really four areas that I'm going to talk about today. There's the excise tax on executive compensation, which I'm sure we would all like to be subject to, and we'll get to that. Um, there's the unrelated business income tax and the changes to that. Uh, the excise tax on educational endowments, and then how these individual tax law changes may affect charitable giving. So on the executive compensation, uh, there is now a 21% excise tax on any nonprofit organization that pays compensation of a million dollars or more to any of your covered employees. And that's really the, the key is uh, what is a covered employee, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but it's, it's the tax, it's important to remember, is paid by the organization, and that uh, million dollars is on all W-2 income. It doesn't include something that's excludable from your gross income, such as qualified plan monies or something like that. It doesn't include payments to licensed medical professions who are uh, professionals who are providing those services, so a doctor in a hospital or in a veterinary uh, setting, it doesn't apply to them. It does include payments from related organizations when you're calculating that million dollars. And it does also include payments on termination. So if you're getting a significant qualified plan payout on termination or on, on leaving, that counts towards that million dollars and, and, and can make you a covered employee. So what is a covered employee? Um, it's basically the top five highest paid employees over a million dollars in any given year. Uh, the key to remember is once you are a covered employee, you remain a covered employee. So maybe in year one, uh, your top five are employees A through E. In year two, E drops off and F steps in is now one of the top five employees making over a million dollars, but E remains a covered employee, and if they're making a million dollars, then that excise tax continues to be due. So you could potentially have more than five covered employees uh, in any given year. What's important to remember is that it's for any employee beginning after December 31st, 2017. So uh, if they were making a million dollars before that, they're not a covered employee. It's only this year that you start to keep track of who your covered employees are. Uh, so in terms of the, the unrelated business income tax, UBIT, there's been several changes. Among them is that the corporate income tax rate has now been lowered to 21%. It's a flat rate across the board. And so for any organizations that are organized as a corporation, a Chapter 180 Massachusetts nonprofit corporation, that means you're taxed as a corporation for UBIT purposes at that 21%. And, you know, so that may be good, but what, it, what you have to keep in mind is that for a lot of organizations whose UBIT was less than $75,000, your tax just went up because under $75,000 you were only paying at the 15% rate. Now you're paying at a flat rate of 21% across the board. They're siloing UBIT activities on economics activities. Prior, you would aggregate all of your UBIT activities, and so if you had losses in one activity, you could apply those against gains in another activities. Uh, now it's each economic activity is siloed, so if I have losses over here, I can't apply them over here. So you may have an NOL going forward in one activity, but being paying tax in another activity. Now to the extent that you've had NOL 
carry forwards from prior to this year, so as of December 31st, 2017, any NOLs, those can continue to be applied across the board to any economic activity. You're not having to go back and figure out which NOL applied to which activity. And we'll see how that might help you when we get to the qualified fringe benefit discussion. Now, there, there are opportunities available to you if you do have lots of activities that are generating UBIT and maybe one of them is a consistent loss that you'd like to apply, there are ways to get around it by perhaps forming a C corporation and, and, and doing the activities under that separate organization where you would still be able to aggregate those losses. And so if, that's a, if you're in that situation, please talk to us and we can maybe uh, help you out on that issue. So uh, the one that I've been getting the most questions on, uh, even today at lunch, is the, the qualified transportation fringe benefit. And, and so basically what this says is to the extent that you have a qualified transportation fringe benefit that your employees are paying on a pre-tax basis, buying MPT, MBTA passes or parking, and they've been doing that at uh, being able to, to exclude from their personal income up to $260 a month to buy these passes or to pay for parking. Uh, to the extent that they're doing that, that $260 a month is now UBIT to you, and you have to pay tax on that. And so if you think about that, for every employee that is taking advantage of this pre-tax deduction of $260 a month, that's $55 a month to each of you at that 21% rate, or $655 a year. What you've got to keep in mind is that, uh, and, and I've heard a lot of questions, is do we need to start paying estimates? You know, you, you may have these plans out there, and, and you might need to think about making estimated payments on that 990T. Uh, the rules in terms of estimates is if you have filed a 990T in the previous year and had tax due, as long as you pay 100% of last year's tax due, you're fine. If last year's tax due was zero, or you didn't file a 990T, then your estimated payments have to equal 100% of the tax due for this year in order to avoid any penalties or interest. And they are required to be made on a quarterly basis. You can't wait until December and pay them all then. So like I said, these, these qualified transportation fringe benefits are transit passes or parking, bicycle commuting reimbursement expenses. Is there anybody here from Harvard? Because this, this is a new tax here. The endowment tax is really, I believe that it really is aimed at Harvard. It's a 1.4% tax on applicable educational institutions. And in order for you to be qualified, you have to have something like $50,000 per student of endowment in order to be, be qualified for this. Most of us are probably not worried about this. It's a, it's a minor issue. So in terms of how the charitable contribution uh, and changes to the individual income taxes could affect donations to you, they have increased the, the amount of charitable contribution that are, is deductible on your personal income tax return. Previously, it was 50% of your adjustable gross income could be deducted as a charitable contribution. It's now been raised to 60%. Uh, unfortunately, many taxpayers won't be worried about that at all because the standard deduction has been increased to $12,000 to an individual and $24,000 for a married couple. So to the extent that, that you may have been itemizing before filing a Schedule A and itemizing your deductions, which is where your, as an individual, your charitable contributions show up, you have to have itemized deductions in excess of $24,000 as a married couple before you can deduct a penny of the charitable contributions you're making. Now, last year I, I did talk about studies 
as to whether or not the ability to deduct your charitable contributions affects your charitable giving. I think now we're going to really see whether or not that's true. And in terms of that standard deduction, what you have to remember is that for those who have been itemizing, your real estate taxes, your income taxes, your uh, excise taxes uh, are now all capped at $10,000. So to the extent that you are itemizing and maybe over that $24,000 standard deduction, a big chunk of those itemized deductions have now been capped at $10,000. So you'd have to have more than $14,000 in charitable contributions or mortgage interest before you go over this $24,000 exclusion. So uh, they have also increased the estate tax exemption from $5.5 million to $11 million. And so we'll see what effect that has on people's decisions to leave money to charities in their will when uh, they may no longer be subject to the estate tax. So this wasn't in the new tax act, but there have also been changes to donor advised funds, or at least hints at changes to donor advised funds. And this may impact you as organizations that are receiving donations from donor advised funds. Previously, as you received donations from donor advised funds, those were showing up on your Schedule A in terms of your public support test as coming from a 501c3 organization. Uh, they haven't, the IRS hasn't changed this officially yet, but they're hinting at it, and we expect to see it probably within the next year, that you will look, you'll have to look through those donations past the donor advised fund to the actual contributor and list them on the Schedule B as the contributor. And so those donations may go from being contributions from a 501c3 on your Schedule A to contributions from a disqualified individual and could impact your whether or not you meet that public support test. Uh, the IRS has also reiterated the idea that you cannot use funds from a donor advised funds to satisfy a charitable pledge. Now that's, that's in fact always been the rule, but now they're, they're, they have issued a notice just reiterating that fact. And that it's also important to remember that donors may not receive a benefit from uh, donor advised fund contributions. So it, a lot of organizations, the way they do it is they say, okay, we've received this money from the donor advised fund for our gala event and we've allocated, we've said the, the meal is $100 and the charitable deduction is uh, $900. And so as long as the donor advised fund pays the $900 and the individual pays $100, you're fine. Well, that's not true under this notice. The IRS says they can't receive any benefit. So if they pay the $100 individually and the donor advised fund pays the $900, that's not kosher. They can't receive any benefit under the donor advised fund. And so I understand my time is coming short. Uh, we have left a couple of minutes for any questions if anybody has any. But we also provide parking for about 25 of our drivers, and at the end of the year we do a true up of their, of their vehicles, but we exclude the IRS allowed, whatever, 265, before we do the true up for the drivers and hit them with the So with if tax. you're excluding the $260, that $260 is gonna be UBIT to you. Okay, and we've never filed the 990T, so we have nothing to base the estimates on other than, well, we well, but you're, So you didn't file a 990T. We've never, so you're, we've never so done one before, yeah. So it was zero. Yeah. So therefore, when you're thinking about what your estimates are for this year and you do need to file estimates, it's going to be, you know, 100% of what the tax is going to be due. Um, so you need to, and, and now keep in mind, I would suspect there's got to be some expenses that goes along with administering these uh, qualified transportation fringe benefits that should be deductible on the 990T, and you should be able to allocate some of your overhead 
um, to that administration. I don't know what that, how much that is. You, that's up, you have to come up with a reasonable methodology for determining that. But there should be some sort of uh, deduction on the 990T for those qualified fringe benefit transportations. Yes, I saw that there is a piece of that UBIT that is for on-premise uh, gymnasiums. We're an education institution. We've got a gym. We've got uh, members of our community that pay for memberships and come and use it, and we've got a handful of employees that use it. One interpretation of this could be that I'm responsible for any employee using it, or do I track actual employee use and pay tax on the value of the memberships for only the employees that use it? What's the liability? I think it's, it's the value for the employees who are using it. Okay, so I just have to keep a log of who's in and out and come up with that. Okay. Correct. Josh. Excellent presentation, Josh. Thank you. Two questions, one easy one, which I'll is- I'll pay you later. One, thank you. Uh, do we need to file multiple 990Ts to track this? Well, you know, we don't know. They're, they're obviously going to have to be revamping the 990T uh, because of the, the different economic um, activities. And I suspect essentially the 990T is going to look like multiple 990Ts, one for each economic activity. But they haven't given us any idea on what, it, what it's going to look like at this point. And now the question that scared me, which is the support test. More and more funders, as Fidelity goes to this $1,000 to qualify for DAF, are giving us donations through DAFs. So if you look at the number one funder right now, the DAF is the number one funder of the organization. Support test, is it on number of people? Is it on dollars? Well, the, the support test is on dollars. It's not on the, the number of contributors. The, the support test is on your total contributions. but. Um, uh, you know, an individual can become a disqualified individual to the extent that they contribute more than 5% of your total funding for the year. Um, and so, you know, once they become a disqualified individual, they come off your public support test and now count against it. Um, and so, um, you know, now that you're going to be looking through it, and that's what this notice 2017-73 said that they asked for comments on how, to how that's going to work administratively, not should we do it, but how will we do it administratively. And so that's why we believe that it's something that the IRS is definitely going to do. They've been aware of this loophole for a long time that you've been able to take monies from a disqualified individual, put it through a, a donor advised fund, and have it come out as if it's, as if it's from a 501c3 charity. Any other questions? Uh, I'd like to satisfy a pledge. Um, does that mean an existing or multi-year pledge, or, or can I just not alert the organization that I'm transferring money? Uh, if, if you're the one, if you have a... From my donor advised fund, um, I basically just cannot communicate advance, in advance that I'm uh, right. If, recommending if, 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 if this is This is when we're talking about a, 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 to satisfy a charitable pledge. If you've made a commitment to the organization, to a charitable organization that says, I'm going to give you... $10,000 for the next 10 years, and, and there's a contract and, and all of those kinds of things. That's the kind of charitable pledge we're talking about. If an individual just gives you the money um, as, a, as a contribution from the donor advice fund, the, the pledge is not relevant. So this is, is there a, uh, an acknowledgment that this is for a multi-year pledge or, or pledges ex that, that predate the, the 2018? Now, as I said, it, it, technically it's always been the rule that you shouldn't use a donor advised fund to satisfy a pledge, but the IRS has reiterated that, there, that, you, know, that, that you need to be careful of this and you need to make sure that you're not using um, donor advised funds to satisfy a pledge. And, and as I understand, it's the same deal for board, uh, like
giving, right? A, 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 a trustee, um, like the expected giving. Well, a trustee, if you think about it, is a disqualified individual because of their relationship with the, the organization. And so gifts from them would more than likely um, count against your public support test. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of trustees may have been funding it through the donor advice fund in order to not impact your public support test. Uh, so now that once we get the rules as to how to look through, then those gifts will now no longer count towards your public support test. But would that qualify as a pledge? No, I don't think that would qualify as a pledge. Jeremy, you have a question? I'm with, uh, you know, New England Historic Genealogical Society. We're a member society. So we give to each of our employees uh, membership. So is that going to be considered one of these de minimis benefits? No. No. Uh, you know, a membership in the organization is not uh, one of these qualified. They're only looking at um, qualified transportation fringe benefits and gym memberships. Those are the only ones, and that's, you know, on-site gym memberships. Those are the only two things that they're applying UBIT to against that right now. I, mean, I don't know what it's going to be in the future, but keep in mind that the idea of this is to, is to put you on equal footings with the, the for-profit organization. Same thing with that million-dollar executive compensation excise tax that public companies can't deduct compensation of their CEOs of more than a million dollars. And so that's the same idea here is that if you've got compensation of more than a million dollars, you can't deduct it because you're not paying tax, but um, you should, they, they want you to pay tax on that. And so it's the same thing uh, with uh, for-profit organizations on the qualified transportation fringe benefits. The, the, the for-profit companies are no longer allowed to deduct that $260 a month in compensation that they're giving to their employees that they're not paying tax on.